Hi, I'm Kate Bowler, and this is Everything Happens. As we approach the new year, we might need just a hot minute to look backward. Give ourselves a, what even happened this year? Who was I? What went well? What didn't? Before we start making those much dreaded New Year's resolutions, maybe we could just have a second of honesty together. My friend Kelly Corgan and I thought it'd be really fun to do a crossover episode where we talk about our happies and crappies of this past year. Kelly is just a total gem. She's the best-selling author and host of a really beautiful show on PBS and a podcast called Tell Me More. She's a fantastic listener. So yeah, if you want to see or listen to Kelly talking to somebody else with like deep, deep empathy, she's your girl. Last week, Kelly and I shared many, 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 many crappy moments. The lowest of the low we've been dragging ourselves through and dragging our loved ones behind us, maybe. Debilitating chronic pain, embarrassing, difficult career choices, changing dynamics with our kids, friends going through really painful times. And if you haven't listened to that one yet, you really should. It's, uh, man, talking with Kelly is the best kind of medicine. But this week, we're gonna take a minute to celebrate the fact that alongside some of those painful, horrifying moments, we did experience just great moments of joy and levity and pure delight. Isn't that so funny how joy and sorrow always seem to coexist? They just are right up against each other in all moments. So yeah, we'll talk about the lovely things in personal lives, in our inner circle, during our nine to fives. And then we called it sort of a zinger, like a bonus round, something that really just (laughs) rose above the rest. All right, buckle up. I can't wait for you to hear Kelly and I and all the things that the year brought. It's going to be good. What are you offering up today in the personal category? Oh my gosh. Well, this is the deepest kind of bone marrow kind of happy, but my tiny human, uh, became slightly less tiny and turned nine recently. And his birthdays are so intense for me emotionally because right after I was diagnosed with cancer, he was turning two and I thought it would be our last birthday together. And so I threw this absolutely absurd farm party. We couldn't just sit on chairs, bales of hay. We couldn't just have desserts. It was a uh, Rice Krispie cake that looked like, I think, more hay. There's really a lot of hay theme now that I think about it. But I invited anyone who I have ever known. And I just thought, I will not be on this island. This is a full archipelago. Like I will have all the people. And I didn't cry once. I just was over the moon thrilled at this. And I gave him wildly age inappropriate presents. Mm. Like um, I gave him one of those motorized things you're not supposed to give two-year-olds. Oh, like an ATV type thing? They don't have arm strength and can't steer. But I was like, get on, get on in there. (laughs) I was obsessed. And The picture of that party just fills my heart with so much bittersweet joy that I got it and also the holy crap, I can't believe I get it again. And so every year I have a big private ritual around, I can't believe that you're alive and so am I. And so this last year I threw another reboot 
farm birthday party and there were goats and there were bunnies and there were boys that ran around like wild things. And but the very the very best part was one, so my, my parents were there and my dad is wildly allergic to animals, but also believes that we have um we no longer have to go outside because civilization has progressed to the point where air conditioning and other amenities render it just kind of a moot like a null, like a non-benefit. And so the fact that I looked around and I could see my kid delirious with joy, I could see my parents not just tolerating, but drinking the mimosas with my friends that I brought to the farm. But but Zach runs up to me, he goes, is this the day that I'm born again? And I exactly how I feel about it is instead of every year being some kind of terrible referendum on the shit that we did or didn't do yeah. over the last year but this is the this is the reset button where we can for one hot second be born again into another dumb year and i just and so then i had to like go into the farm bathroom and have like just a solid little cry for a second of that yeah. and then reemerge ready to host but uh yeah that kid I uh, I was born again this year. It was fantastic. Yeah. I got diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 36, turning 37. And Georgia and I have the same birthday, my oldest. And she was turning three. And I, oh. I, I took it from like a nothing three-year-old birthday party to like the world's greatest three-year-old birthday party. <laughs> it was a music theme. So we had like the cake was a guitar cake that this friend of mine, yeah. Jen, made. And my husband got some of these old friends of his from college who he sang with like picture Andy Bernard like singing group singing <laughs> bum 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 uh-huh and um they, they sang together and it was oh so over the top and all the adults knew and so we were all like looking at each other with the big eyes and all the kids didn't know and it was one of those trippy experiences where you're very aware of the yeah. multiple realities existing simultaneously, whereas sometimes you're blissfully unaware of that. But it's always true, of course. That's right. That's right. And when you get the awareness and in a second of crystalline joy, mm. then holy crap, it's like you're, uh, you know, those like uh, crystal glass performances where it's like, hee, 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 uh-huh, uh-huh. Hee, you know, it's like playing all the glasses. Yeah. You just yeah. feel it at every register. Yeah, that's cool. That's good. That's a good image. I like that. So my what about you, lovely? My personal happy is moving and moving. I lived in California from 25 to 54. I grew Whoa. up in Philly. When I left, my dad was like, lovey, have a great year out there. And 29 <gasps> years later, I moved. And I, of course, don't feel nearly old enough to have lived somewhere for 29 years. And yet the minute that Claire graduated from high school, we pulled up roots. She graduated on a Friday and the house sold on a Monday. Mm. And there's terrific novelty everywhere I turn. And there's also a lot of movement in my new places. So yeah. I have this friend, Lisa Feldman Barrett. She's a neuroscientist, and she's just like a great life advisor for me. She was saying, you know, there are no quick fixes, but I will say that like sleep, mm -hmm. movement, and novelty like are about oh, as close to a quick fix as you can find. 
because we are contextual beings. And so being in a new context is yeah. is an outside-in solution to a, a mood or a state of being or a period of your life that does actually affect our neurology. Yeah. And so in New York, we live on the West Side Highway. And that means that I am on these city bikes, which are everywhere. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that takes a lot of bravery to get on those those suckers. So good for you. It's so fun, Kate. I feel like I'm like 12 years old. Like I go out there in my sneakers and I hop on my city bike and I ride up and down the West Side Highway. So it's not in and around traffic. Like I have I have gone in and around traffic and I actually wiped out in traffic once. But being on a bicycle is there's something about it that yep. I feel like the hands of time are just like yep. unraveling. And I'm like this I'm kid eight. on wooded lane, like, like driving down to the Radnor Pharmacy to see if I can get some Skittles. So that that kind of movement is thrilling me. And then in the winter, we've been cross-country skiing, which I'd never done before in my life. As a Canadian, no doubt you cross-country to school and back. But uh, as, as a kid from the suburbs of Philly, I did not do that before. And that is about as joyful an experience as one can get in the winter. Like you yes. feel so alive, vibrant. Yes. Yep. Just like vitality coursing through you. And I mm-hmm. think about Pink this. Pink in your cheeks, a little totally, bit of wind. Totally. Totally. And like you can see your breath and you have your cute hat on and. You don't feel like gray-haired and hunched anymore. You feel like, (laughs) I'm out here. And um, so I I just have really noted that, like, switching Mm -hmm. your context and moving your body are very promising directions. Like, if you're stuck, just get up and get out. Yeah. And and you don't have to rethink it. You don't have to reframe it. Like it's not that kind of work. It's not an intellectual or emotional challenge. It's like kind of a shortcut to thinking a different kind of thought. I'll take it. Absolutely. If everything's going to be the hard road and I can just get this side path. Yeah. Totally. Totally. The only one I would add to that is showers or baths. Mm -hmm. I do feel like that's such a reset. Like Mm -hmm. if the world is horrible, cool. But do you have a shower? Right. (laughs) I'll be right back. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And then you're just, you're like, wait, I'm brand new. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, the smallness is huge. Like, you know, I'm such a fan of wonder and awe as as like solutions. And I think the takeaway on them is that you're, it makes you much smaller in the context of the world. Yes. And it's better being small. The bigger you are in the frame, the more like self-obsessed and, you know, more rumination just like shrink it down. Like I've been doing this weird thing in my head where if I'm wigging out, which, you know, like I wig out mm-hmm. twice a week or three times a week mm-hmm. about something. And I and I think some of the things I wig out about are like actually substantial. Like they're, they're genuine concerns that anybody who loves another person would have. Just but, awareness. Is it is it is it anxiety you're wigging out or is it just an awareness of the reality mm-hmm. that you're going through? I like to think you're just perceptive. Mm-hmm. Hyper aware. Hyper. Mm-hmm. I would, there, there's something more. It's not calm like awareness. It's a little more energized than that, I would say. But anyway, mm-hmm. then I say in my head, like, who else? Like, who else within your field of vision is worrying about their kid or their mother or their husband or their body? Or their job, oh, nice. or their friend, 
right now. Yeah. Like, just look around. And nice. if you're walking in New York, you think, like, she looks like she might be worrying about somebody. And she's worrying about somebody. And then I, like, drone out. You know, I'm like, That's good. like, who else in New York City? Who else in New York State? Who else on the East Coast? Who else in America? Like, this yeah. is what is happening for all of us right now. Yeah, that's right. That makes complete sense to me. That is why I am so glad I lucked into the podcast because I think the philosophy in that was the thing that does that work for me. Like if I get to be reabsorbed into other people's stories and problems, I feel, I just feel, I feel physically better. I feel more at peace. I feel more connected with the world, even if it's really sad, frankly. Mm -hmm. But I just like to know it's not just me alone with my problems. I'm like back on team humanity and that's where I want to be. Yeah. So reabsorbed yeah. is a good, that's a good way of thinking about it. I like that word for it because it sort of speaks to the separation. Totally. And, you look around, risk. take me back, take yeah. me back. I don't right. want to feel alone or weird in the world anymore. I just want to be having our problems. Right. I want to be one of many. Yes. Which you always are. You yeah, just you just so decide special. whether you, yes. yes. Problems always feel so special. And then they are in a way because of the particularity of our dumb love. But then you're like, nope, I just want to be back. As Ariel once said, where the people are. Oh, I want nice. to see, want to see them. I do sing that though that. every time I'm in an elevator. Was it's one of my favorite cool. songs. It's classic. Mm -hmm. We probably can't sing it now because we would have to pay like licensing fees, but <laughs> let's sing it in our heads for a minute. And so the listener can join us. I want to be where the people are. Hmm? Come on, go with me in your I head. I want to see. Uh, want to mm -hmm. see them dancing? Dancing. <laughs> That's right. We do. We really do, though. <laughs> okay. What's your What's your inner circle? Uh, well, happy? my inner circle happy is totally along the same lines as what you were saying about uh, living to scale, like making your things smaller, and then you feel right sized with the world again. And I moved for that reason last month. I wanted to live right near my best friend and her husband and her two little kids they live right near a forest and i thought yeah exactly i want to go out into the world and i want to feel like i can look at the birds and wander around and feel the crunch of the leaves under my feet and have my problems and loudly talk about my problems for about an hour which is always what happens when we get together and i want my i grew up right next to where these two rivers meet. And I love, I love just like being near it. And I thought, well, if we could have our families there, then wouldn't that be kind of the best version of life ever? So the, really the only thing I had was a series of terrible ideas, which is that I had an utterly unmanageable schedule. And somehow in the middle of it, I was going to buy a house and then move a house and then move all the things inside of my house, even though those are all my worldly belongings. And I never thought I would move out of that house, which I've lived in for 15 years and it was the house I thought I was going to die in. So everything about it felt kind of like a half a house, half a museum of a person that I'd been. But like I've got Zach's growth chart on the wall and I have, you know, all the places where I kept my memory books and then also my medication. And so moving I knew was going to be a big existential leap across the chasm. But lucky for me, I married a Mennonite who is so 
unearthly cheap. (laughs) So absolutely painfully like won't hire a mover, like insists that we have friends. Like here, here are the friends who could help us move. One, has back problems. Got <laughs> got tweaked his back within the first 30 seconds of, oh, will you lift this bed frame? And the other friend just had retinal damage. Like basically we're ready for his eye to pop out into his open hand. And we're like, go ahead, Graham. Yeah, lift grab the that fridge. other end of the sofa. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Can get, you see? Get it? in the game, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we got a truck. You know, we could do this all day. So <laughs> I was like, Tobin. Mennonite husband of my life. This is a terrible idea. Everyone is telling us that we are of the age where it's not ethical to do this anymore. So instead of listening to me, he just waited till I went out of town and then conscripted all of these people into manual labor because then it was only the cost of gas. So when I got home into my quote, new house, I just was, it was boxes and suitcases. But this was my favorite part is that Tobin had made all the children in my life pack boxes and everything that I found in each box was thematically related, as far as I could tell, only by the height of the child. Oh, look, (laughs) you're really short. (laughs) I got shoes, pans. I got a belt in this one. I'm still opening boxes where I'm like, what in God's name is this box about? But the answer is free labor. That's what it's about. But I am now living close to all the children Mm. in the name of... uh, Love. In the name of an affordable affordable move. Is it a perfect house? It is absolutely not. Is it what I even imagined for my life? No. But it's it feels like it's to scale. It's it's right next to the people whose problems I am totally obsessed with. Mm-hmm. So it's the best. Oh my god! Picturing kids packing boxes. <laughs> that's so good. I mean, I wouldn't even Wasn't let my like eighteen year old pack. I'm like, that's not right. No, they don't no, go no, together. No. Don't no. do that to me because I got to unpack it, and you're not going to be there. And well, it's like what not, we don't see? put like one spoon. No. In, in with the old drapes <laughs> with dad's sneakers. Yeah. No, there's th- there was one layer of it which was like this is wildly inefficient and the other layer which was um what what do you, what do I own? What if I own things I don't want you to see? Do I actually own anything like that? Right. And I'm just like tick 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 just doing the inventory. Uh-huh. So. It moving is existential. I mean there's no question. Like I cried my eyes out the night that I, we put the house on the market in California. And then seven days later, we got offers. And Whoa. then for some reason, the day we got the offers was when I when I felt it the most. And I just was crying in front of the realtor. And Edward's like, are you okay? And the realtor's like, is she okay? You know when they won't address you directly that you're really like, <laughs> Is she like, okay? Yeah, is she okay? <laughs> and I was like, I'm right here and I am fine. I'm just saying <laughs> it's all happened very quickly. And Edward kept saying, like, what did you think was going to happen? And that, I thought, I don't know. It just didn't, it wasn't real to me until I had to sign my name 47 times in the stack of papers. And, yeah. and, and then that, life is over. Yes. That's, you have a real ending. Yes. That's and you're weird... going to forget things. Like, that's the thing I felt. It's like without yeah. the physical reminders of like that corner or that place yeah. underneath the stairs where they used to be, or this like this little window seat where Claire used to set herself up with the pillows and the blankets and read with her little book light. What if I'm not triggered to remember all those lovely things? 
Now, fortunately, we've all taken 17,000 photographs. So there there are things in there. And it's actually the unposed stuff that most fills me up when I Mm. discover, you know, when they feed you back your photos on a certain day or whatever. And there's 2007. And you think, Mm. oh, God, look at her. Like, remember that shirt she wore? Remember those stupid shoes that made so much noise and scuffed the floor? (laughs) You know, whatever. Um, Yes. But, yeah, moving is super intense. I, I found it really hard. And then, of course, I just went back. And the people who bought our house, like, gutted it. And oh. the door was open because they were painting. <laughs> I, did I, like I go that in? That's both a description and an excuse. <laughs> I did go in. I did. And and I went in every single room. And God, I hope they don't listen to this podcast because I went everywhere. And I took pictures and I sent them to Edward. And that's the truth. And if you now own my house, I'm really sorry. I probably shouldn't have done that. But. Like I said, the door was wide like open. It was like you were asking me to like peek around and see what you did. <laughs> see how you ruined it. Yeah, yeah. See how you destroyed all my hard work of living there for 10 years and making everything just so. Exactly. So my inner circle is that my brother Booker got married for the second time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So he was married for, oh, I don't know, got to be 10, 15 years and had two kids. And then they got divorced and then, you know, you just worry to death. He's kind of a lover, not a fighter. Like, he's a person that always had these girlfriends, and he loved one more than the next. And, you know, he would, like, buy them cards and red hots and, you know, <laughs> like like the one rose from the supermarket that was wrapped in cellophane. And, you know, he's very hard on your sleeve, sweet. So anyway, we went down to Florida to the big event. And you know how you were saying you are looking around at Zach's birthday party and like all in like one eye full. There's your dad yes. and there's your friends and there's your boy. Yeah. It was like that. I was looking it's around. It's a tableau. It's a tableau. It really is. And I was looking yeah, around. Yeah, it's a diorama thinking, of your gorgeous life. Yes, 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 totally. I mean, he he had friends there from, he went to the school called Trinity Poly for one year after high school, like a PG year to try to get his grades up. He had a friend from Trinity Poly come to his wedding 40 years later. Yes. He had friends from high school. He had friends from college. He had friends from Camp Taqua, where we used to go in the summers, also like 45, 50 yeah. years ago. And I so admire his commitment to good old-fashioned friendship. And I think mm-hmm. it could have easily gone another way. You know, he's a single guy all of a sudden, and he could start running around with the single guys and going to the bar and just kind of lose track of everybody or feel like you should pull back now because you're just a single, not a double. You know, like when your married friends all get together and you say, I'm like, I'm going to sit this one out. He never did that. He just stayed right where he was in those relationships. And he's, he's, you know, he's a real like blow life into people kind of guy. Like he, he probably calls 15 people a week just to say oh hi. Oh my gosh. I'm not what kidding. Guy. Yeah. He's really outward focused. He remembers the big days. And so there he was in the middle of this scene. And I just thought, oh, God, like mm. good things happen to good people. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. But when they do, it is so satisfying to watch. So satisfying. I mean, I, we had cousins from like five different families show up from my mom's side, my dad's side. They got on the plane and they rented the car and they stayed in this little hotel and they got out to this red barn in the middle of nowhere Cute. And it's such a it's such a miracle that people 
who have been so hurt love again. And they do. They do. Yes. And like to watch them dance and to watch her laugh at his antics, like he's a big personality, he's a total hoot. I mean, basically like emceed his own wedding. We were laughing so hard. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) but like he he did it. He he licked his wounds for a while and you know, Mm -hmm. he probably like went out too much and drank too much and for a while and then he met a girl and then he probably like held that at bay for a while and then finally mm-hmm. finally was like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna dare to say these words again i'm gonna dare oh to stand gosh. up in front of a hundred people and say i yeah. will love you until i die oh awesome a big love sounds like he is good at like stretching his heart to the limit he is he really is the other thing that was really fun that you don't get in a first wedding, obviously, is his kids played this pivotal role. So he has two kids in college, same basically yeah. the same ages as our kids. And they gave this toast at the wedding that was like, I couldn't have been more proud of them. I was like, oh, my God. And they were funny and relaxed and sensitive mm-hmm. and open-hearted. And then they danced all night. And, of course, everybody yeah. wants to be near the young people. I mean, we were just gushing to be close to them on the dance floor and to try to dance like that. Like I kept watching Mary, my niece, and yeah. think like, is this how you dance to this song? Like, okay, you do this with your hands. <laughs> is this like, it? Yeah, because I, you know, I'm dancing my my 55-year-old dance and I'm like, oh, that's how the 19-year-olds do it. They dance like that. I'm like, okay. Like less movement, a little bit more hand, a little bit more over the head stuff I found. Some pointing, a lot a lot more pointing, like, yeah, no, I see That is you. surprising. Yeah, uh-huh. No, there's a lot to be learned, really. Uh, and I'm ready. I am. I could go to a wedding once a week. Like, it'll never get old for me. And, and especially, really, a second wedding. Yes, that's right. A resurrection. Yeah. Little little bit of the phoenix. Yeah. Loved yes. it. Loved oh, it. That's gorgeous. Yeah, Booker Corrigan. He's off the Booker. market, ladies. If you were thinking about throwing your hat in. It's too late. Too <laughs> late. All these everything happens. Fans are going to be like, who is he? What do you mean? He's is gone. He's man. off the market. Is his, yeah. Is his photo in the show notes? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's where we'll put it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's where it belongs. What's your nine to five happy? I've been so grateful to be able to travel this year after having mm-hmm. not traveled for so long. And I'm so insanely extroverted that it warms my heart like nothing else to have the airport feeling where I've got my little carry-on and I get off the escalator. And I just have this, like, there is no wind machine, you know, Uh going, but it feels like there's a wind machine (laughs) as I... Like a little uh, Beyonce's plan. (laughs) I just feel like for a second, I get to devour the world. Just like... Mm You know, just for one second. And I have, like you, a deep and abiding love of the random. So I've been trying to just embrace the fact that when you start a trip, you really kind of just don't know what kind of trip you're going to get. You don't know what kind of weather you're going to get. You don't really know. Even if you know all the people, you don't really know what state you're going to find them in. And you'll never really know exactly what the shape of a day is going to feel like. And I'm just letting it be like that. So every work trip, I just let it be peak random. So I have this uh, app that I use, Roadside America, in which I have to buy these local maps of bizarre, usually historical 
ephemera, you know, and so I'll go someplace and then I'll just look at wherever I am and I'll usually do like a world's largest and then include the state and then usually a map will pop up. Uh And then I will, if I have, I'll either conscript someone to drive me or I will get an Uber or this last trip I had a rental. And I met this other historian who had also, we would been given two hours off and I leaned over and I was like, hey, we don't know each other, but do you want to go see random historical stuff with me? And he was like, hey, yes, I do. So we just noodled around. We drove to go see Tom Wolfe's old mansion in California that exploded right before it was done being built because the people working on the floors had piled up all the linoleum soaked rags in the fireplace. And then it destroyed about $10 million worth of property. And they built this beautiful museum. And an 80-year-old man took me around on a golf cart telling me about why he loves the author of White Fang. And the sun was shining and I saw birds I'd never seen. The man I was with said the cutest thing. I was like, yeah, do you want to go see this? And do you want to go see this? And he looked at me and goes, yes, let's history. Oh, I was like, yes, <laughs> let us history today. You're dating. So, You're basically <laughs> dating. I mean, I'm not going to tell Tobin, and obviously he doesn't listen to the podcast since you already went on and on about how cheap he is, but you are dating that man. That That's a come on. That's like a nerd come on. He worked on that. He's like, you know what I should have said the last time? <laughs> he workshopped it alone. He did. Oh, my god. In the mirror. Uh, and then... And now, and now here we are in madly in love, and that will be my forever family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goodbye, Tobin. Goodbye, Mennonites. This is, it, this is how it ends. Well, I mean, what what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> what, what good story doesn't begin that way? That's right. Uh, that's so interesting. When I travel all these years, like fifteen years, I've been traveling. I really rarely stay at a hotel. Like I probably stay at a hotel, I mean, ten times out of wow. three hundred trips. Because I feel lonely in hotels, all I do is sit there and watch TV, and there's always somebody to stay with. And I find that staying with people is so instructive and enlarging, like just to see how they do breakfast and whether their kid looks them in the eye or who Mm -hmm. feeds the dog. You know, like from the absolute banal to things Mm -hmm. that are actually really meaningful. Like I've stayed with these friends of mine a zillion times, Christy and Alec. And their family is so nice to each other that every time I come home, I'm like, Edward, we got to like, we got to say please and thank you more. Like there's a way of interacting that we have assumed was only for strangers that could actually be for like the most important people in your life. I've seen it and there's no way they could keep it up this long. Like I think it's for real. Yeah, yeah. it can't be a sham. Mm Mm-mm. I also love it when people are overly formal with their children. Uh-huh. Miss Penelope, yeah. it, you, if you would be a dear yeah. and get your shoes. <laughs> I do. I am very, very formal with Zach, mostly because we think it's funny. And then every time he does something that really, frankly, he's quite obligated to do, we will shake hands, make stern eye contact and go, a gentleman's agreement, yeah. which we feel... <laughs> we feel really settles the matter. But oh, I man, so I, I love watching people's little ecologies. It's yeah. the same reason it's it's fun to host. Yes. Like, hey, welcome to my cocoon. Yeah, totally. Thanks for coming. But the but the larger point is a day counts. Like every yeah. day. You know, you can make a little something happen. The only way that a great life becomes a great life is in these minute by minute choices. Like the opportunity cost for me of like mm-hmm. staying with 
a friend or a near friend. Like, I mean, people I've stayed with, my husband's like, I cannot believe, like, he has some friend that he barely knew from college who was a reader of my books. And she lives in Des Moines. And I was going to yeah. Des Moines. And I was like, Edward, I think I should reach out to your friend. He's like, why? And I was like, because I want to stay with her. And he's like, why? And I'm like, because <laughs> I hotels wig me out. And he's like, okay. <laughs> but because of the kinds of books you and I write, yeah. you are kind of starting on second base with everybody. You're, you're not, right. I mean, people come to us knowing way more about us than you would in a normal interaction. And that, yeah. we wouldn't probably do it. I mean, I've never asked you if you feel this way, but I, I certainly wouldn't do it if I wasn't comfortable with the consequence of it, which is that people just come right on up to you and start telling you it's things true. that are meaningful instead of, so nice. you know, this kind of superficial small talk that like makes oh me, my gosh. yeah, just this exhausting. It makes my eyes cross. Yeah. Makes you want to take a potato peeler to my face yeah. every time I have to have the same conversation. <laughs> but I didn't realize how intolerant I am of... um extended small talk mm. until I was in a group setting the other day and everyone was being normal to each other, just normal. Everyone was exchanging the kind of information that you typically exchange. And then there was just like a microsecond pause. And then I said, um, how many people here have been punched in the face? Like, I mean, like really punched in the face, just nice table full of women. And then I realized maybe I'm not as good at small talk yeah. <laughs> as I thought I was. That's an amazing question. <laughs> yeah, I'm no good with small talk either. I mean, like, and I'm so clumsy in my, you know, the way I change the channel conversationally. Like, they'll, they'll be telling me about their calicata marble counter. And I'll be like, let me ask you something. When your mom's coming to town, are you anxious or happily anticipating the event? Yes. No, like, like part of diaries are out. Let's get in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Tell me something real. Give me something to hold on to. So my nine to five happy is collaborating. Mm. You know, we're doing this really cool collaboration with a bunch of people at the Greater Good Science Center, which is at UC Berkeley. And they are really trying to dig into this idea about intellectual humility, which is basically just knowing that all knowledge is partial and acting accordingly basically, in all interactions, which leads to great things like curiosity and asking more questions and withholding judgment and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, it's the first collaboration where people are supporting us with like this ground level research, mm. this enormous amount of content and insight and data, and then turn it into something for the podcast. Like, what would it be to be a parent who was constantly aware of and acting according to the fact that all knowledge is partial? Mm. My knowledge and the kid who's telling me the story of their life, their knowledge. Like, how would that change every interaction? Mm. So anyway, collaborations is a huge, great part of our life. The other cool one that we're doing in June is with this bunch of guys at Yale. Do you know Miroslav Volf, who runs yeah, the I Divinity know. School? Yeah, yeah. So he's wonderful, and he and I did a podcast together, and then we got talking about this course that they're teaching there called Life Worth Living, and it's a yes. collection and summation of all the ancient wisdom and traditions about how to think about what the point of your life is and what the point of your life could be, and the kids love the course, and then they're writing this book, and then we love the book. So anyway, 
doing those calls with the Yale guys to figure out how to turn that book into a five-part podcast series. Cool. It's so cool because you're the learner again. Mm-hmm. And I, at like 10 out of 10 times, if you could be the teacher or the learner, I want to be the learner. Yeah. Yeah. How's this work? Then what happened? Yeah. Then But let me ask feeling. you this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Have you thought about? Uh-huh. Oh, that's so great. It's like having it is... a private tutorial session with these like brilliant people. You know, I didn't get to go to Yale, but I kind of get to go there right now. And so I didn't great. get to go to Berkeley. And I kind of get to go there right now where I have like the full attention of these people to ask about their life's work. Like the deep knowledge is so attractive to me right now. And it's partially because, you know, we're in a world of misinformation and disinformation and, and also of charlatans who are mm-hmm. flippant. You got to go back to the source. Yeah, it's true. I always end up having to like pause my life every 18 months, maybe two years. And then I have to do a full new research project because if I if I float too far from the feeling of primary sources and all the intense, then it's true. You get, it goes from like deep, super, super textured, detailed research. And then you kind of have to boil it down for people to listen to. But then if you boil it down too much, then you just have, you know, absolute self-help crap, mm-hmm. which is uh, trite and can't possibly be true in most situations. Then you're saying things like, I invented the high five <laughs> and now I have a psychologically backed <laughs> set of researchers willing to prove it, which is a real book, The High Five Habit. Nice. So yeah, I, I always find like taking a taking a beat to like fully refresh the feeling of like drawn from the deepest well is such a big and important feeling. And that's also intellectual humility in action mm. to say, I need to plug into something larger. Like it just yeah. I just can't take some things we said at happy hour on Friday. And like put them out into the world like they're real on Monday. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we're so no, totally. limited. We're so limited. <laughs> it's true. Yep. That's right. But then it's so funny because in that stage, though, I have to be like, uh, research Kate. And I don't know if you've met me in the midst of a research project. But in the midst, I am full spreadsheet, unwashed hair. Mm. Um, I have too many anecdotes. I mean, just too many very specific examples I'd very much like to show you. I've fallen in love with an archivist Mm. and we have a relationship because he gets me whatever books I want. Mm. So yeah, it's not a... I look, I emerge sort of like bleary eyed and haggard, but... but So cool. It's so cool to be subsumed. Yes, that's right. That is the feeling, right? It's a slight... I love immersive... Like, I'd really rather do one thing all day long than to do 45 things. Like, the 45 things feels like juggling, and the one thing feels like learning. And and I'm way more on the juggling side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's just not satisfying. I don't, I, I, I remember yeah. my girls did this thing where they, um, over spring break in Piedmont, California, they take the kids to build houses in Mexico. And it's totally immersive. They're there for five or six days. And then they hand over the keys at the end of the week and say whatever you want about it. I know there are multiple points of view on it. It's immersive. And they are so tired when they get home. Yeah. And they will never forget it. Mm-hmm. And when I, I was trying to help our children's hospital in Oakland for like 12 years, I was involved in this thing. 
And I remember thinking the first time the girls came back from Mexico, oh, we're not asking too much of people. We're asking too little on the children's Mm -hmm. hospital side. They're not exhausted. (laughs) They don't remember it. It's not immersive. We're asking, like, to drop off some books one day and then to give a small donation another day and to, like, that's not enough, actually, that that it's the complete immersion is way more satisfying Yep. And they make fulfilling. a big claim on us. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's that is how I feel about a day. If I had one bit where I got to like carve out a chunk of my soul in some way, even if it's for just a short bit, those are always the those are always the days I remember. Yeah. Do you go to church every day? No, not every day. You know, I work at a divinity school. So there's a great amount of daily worship and then I do church on Sundays. Yeah. But yeah. There's a lot of our Lord and Savior, you know, on the regular. Yeah. But. uh... (laughs) Yeah, you can't avoid it. Yeah, that's right. I just went and sat in St. Patrick's Cathedral the other day. I was in New York and I was walking by and it's a place my dad loved. And I had a minute and I was like, I think I'll just go sit in there and see what happens. See if I get tapped on the shoulder. It was nice. He didn't show up. He didn't like tell me anything. I was kind of hoping to hear him, but I'll try again. What's your bonus? What's your bonus, Happy? Mm, I had a good one. I went to a super hippie college in undergrad, and it was kind of a bit of a mismatch as I had (laughs) learned about college from watching Saturday morning television programming where Canadian kids can watch shows about uh, kids in California having a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saved by the Bell, huge problems. California Dreamin'. I mean, we even had California Raisins, which I think was a cartoon created just by advertisers <laughs> out of that the box of raisins. And we we're like, wow, so much is happening in California. I learned about prom that way. I learned about the SATs that way. And I had no sense, though, that there's some kind of a spiritual matchmaking process that American kids go through where they're supposed to find a college based on their personality. And uh, no idea. I just, because we go to university, um, you just sort of throw a rock and then it hits a place of learning and then you go there. And guess what? <laughs> it's it's pretty good, you know? Right. I lived right near the campus of the University of Manitoba. So I was like, well, I don't want to go there because I'd like to be the first person to go somewhere else uh, that I was aware of. And so I uh, found a brochure for this college and on the brochure, people were playing rugby. Again, I'd not played rugby, but I thought I could be the kind of person that plays rugby. What? I was in fact, not that kind of person. No. <laughs> and um, it was Scottish. And I was like, my uncle's Scottish. Like, this is amazing. So <laughs> I applied place there. This was literally <laughs> made for me. I think I'm gonna love rugby. And I know one person from Scotland. I sure do. They have a tartan. That <laughs> college was McAllister College in the Twin Cities. And I, uh, my grades were not that great, but I really? know that I got in because I'm an international student. And let's let that sink in for a moment. Uh-huh. So did I go to international student orientation? Yes, I did. Oh, did I drive there? Yes. These poor, sweet kids who are from, you know, Sweden and Egypt. And I'm just like, hi, hi, hi. I'm from the adjacent province. Um, so I I went to this I college. I feel you. I feel you. I get it all. You're from I also... Shanghai? I'm from Manitoba. We have kilometers. <laughs> I did. I brought that up a lot. 
but it was a total mismatch. It was a cool hippie college for people who hated the small Christian towns that they grew up in. Mm-hmm. And I was from a big secular country and just so Jesus-y. So it was a bit of a nightmare. And also the place where I completely fell in love with liberal arts education and have never been more grateful for an education. So I I am simultaneously obsessed with McAllister, but it was the place of my greatest emotional alienation, I guess I will say in this voice. So they asked if I would come back to do their commencement. Is that the right word for the Uh one at the end? Yes. Address. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I was so over the moon about it. Like, I couldn't believe that they asked. I couldn't believe that I got to go back. I did my own little tour with my college roommates of all the places I cried. It took like two and a half hours. It was the full circle feeling of this was a part of myself that I can't even believe was real. It's like you flip to the first chapter and you're like, what even happened then? Totally, totally. And then these absolutely delightful college students, what they did was they asked if I would give a talk for a combined thing for the two two classes that didn't get a graduation service. So they were like, do you think you could talk to people whose dreams didn't come true? And I was like, yes. Those are my people. (laughs) You don't even know. I don't even like the people whose dreams came true. Exactly. (laughs) Who are they? So I think I was so hyper- and emotional all 36 hours of being there because I realized the feeling that I had that I was so grateful to have gotten is the same feeling that they had missed and needed was that sometimes you don't need friends you need a witness like a witness to the person that you were and you needed to be surrounded by other people who look at you and they say like I get it that happened it was real and that so rarely comes around in our lives. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I honestly thought this is it. This is a soul completing moment. I will never hunger again. You know, that was that sort of like, mm-hmm. that's it. I give up. That was perfect. I, I gave the graduation speech at University of Richmond this year, which oh is where gosh. I was. Oh, my gosh. I had, so You're I, having twin feelings. Totally. Totally. I was completely flattered. I was scared to death. I never worked harder on anything, including like books that sold to a million people. I did not work as hard as I worked on that speech. And yeah, it really was a conclusion of sorts. Mm. And, you know, it's so funny at Richmond, when you're a student there, you can audition to be the, the student graduation speaker. It's oh, not wow. it's not just given to the valedictorian or the class president. So yeah. all these people audition for it. And I happened to go to graduation when I was a freshman. And I saw this very funny guy, not much of a student, give this really great speech. And the kids went bananas because like the kids are in it for the other kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the highlight of graduation. So for three years, I was like, I want to be that person. I want to give that speech. So I auditioned to give the speech. And when I got to the room where you had to wait, I looked around and I was like, oh, my God, this is like every known kid in my class, like the president of this and the leader of that. And that person's going to medical school. And, you know, I just was like, oh, I'll never, ever, ever get this. But I'm glad I tried, you know. And of course, my dad's super in on this with me. You know, he's like, Lobby, you're going to get it. You know, like, we're doing this. You know, it was like a we kind of thing. Okay, so anyway, there's this girl at University of Richmond. Her name's Emily Wampler, which is a crazy name. But she was actually my friend from diving in the summer's outside of Philadelphia. 
And she happened to go to University of Richmond also. So I go in, I give a speech. They call uh, you know, a couple days later and they say, Kelly, we're not giving you the speech, but we'd like you to be the runner up and you should be ready to give your talk. If anything happens, we're going to turn to you. And I was like, wow, that's so flattering because I saw who was in that room and I, I feel very moved. Mm. And I said, but by the way, who got the speech? And they said, Emlyn Wampler. And I was like, Emlyn Wampler beat me again? So I call my dad. I'm like, Greeny, you're not going to believe who's giving the speech. And he's like, who? I said, Emlyn Wampler. He's like, we're going to break her knees. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna take her down, lovey. We're going to give her a potion so her voice doesn't work. So anyway. <laughs> we're going to break her knees. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's loving it. And so anyway, you know, 30 years later, I got the call. And I was like, God, if my dad could see this. He just been so, so gratified. Like, you don't know how long the story you're in is going to be. That's right. You think the story was, and, and then Emily Wampa got to give the speech. Yeah. And then you find out 30 years later, there's like one little coda. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, it was awesome. It was so awesome. <laughs> Your dad's absolutely irresponsible support is so fantastic. Irresponsible I mean, just... support. <laughs> I love it. Here's what I can tell you. He would have given it to you, too. It was not special. It was not. Although he managed to make people feel special, the fact yeah. is he was doing it everywhere to friends Aww. and strangers alike. So if he met you, he'd be like, Kate Bowler. Huh? How about Kate Bowler? Listen to that laugh. Look at those dimples. I oh love God. her. He met this friend of mine and he said, Sarah. You're the discovery of a lifetime. Oh, my God. And she says, like, to this day, she's like, when I'm having a bad day, I just remember your dad looking over at me at lunch and saying, you're the discovery of a lifetime. Oh, my gosh. I told my other friend, Christy, she was the great American pixie. She's like, I don't know. I didn't know really what he meant by it, but I loved it. You're the great American pixie. Oh, my gosh. I'm in love. Yeah. Yeah, you would have been. Oh, my God. You too. You'd, you'd have been unstoppable. This was such a delight. I know. I don't you know why dear. we don't just do it every week. I think I think we just scrap everything happens and scrap Kelly Corey and Wonders and we'll just <laughs> make lists together week after Absolutely. week. Absolutely. Uh-huh. We will be happy and crappy. Yep. Simultaneously. Yeah. Until the end till the end of time. I think we might need some merch on this. I think we might need a t shirt that <laughs> says, I'm happy, I'm crappy, deal with it. <laughs> underline, underline. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love you. Oh my gosh, you too. Thanks. Well, my loves, I hope this year had some bright moments, some moments that just sparkled. And if you're not sure, sometimes maybe that's a good time to just reach out to a friend and be like, from the outside, did anything, do you think anything can stand out? Because, uh, yeah, we need a witness. Sometimes we can be our own, and sometimes we need someone else. So here's to all of your lovely, lovely sparkly moments. May you get a chance to celebrate them, especially when things are hard. Sometimes we just uh, need a minute to be honest about it all, and also maybe to bless it all. All the happy and sad and frustrating and ordinary and hopeful and heartbroken. And... That's a way of speaking that I started practicing doing when things got rough. Blessing 
became a language to speak spiritually in a way that felt more honest to me, where I didn't have to sort of sit around waiting for something especially magical could happen. I was trying to practice blessing it all instead. Jessica and I, Jessica is my co-author and also executive producer of this podcast, and we wrote a new book of blessings for just that. The feeling that we need to bless it all, happy and crappy. And our book is called The Lives We Actually Have. And it comes out on Valentine's Day. And you can pre-order and learn more about it at katebowler.com slash blessingsbook. So, yeah. If you want to bless it all with us, you are so welcome. And I would love to hear all about your crappy and happy as you look back on the year. And we created a little graphic and you can add your own and share on social media. And you can grab it in the show notes of this episode or find me online at Kate C. Bowler. Our team is going to take a little break because, you know, Christmas. But we will be back in February with new episodes. We cannot wait to be back with you then. In the meantime, bless you, my dears, and have a very beautiful Christmas and a happy new year. A really special thank you goes to our generous partners who make this work possible. Lily Endowment, the Duke Endowment, Duke Divinity School, and Leadership Education. And to my incredible team, Jessica Ritchie, Harriet Putman, Gwen Higginbotham, Brenda Thompson, Keith Weston, Jeb, and Sammy. Thank you. This is Everything Happens with me, Kate Bowler.